Welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people in Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. My name is Lavanya, and on today's show, I'll bring to you an interview with Mike Beans, the Senior Program Officer for Humanitarian Disarmament at PAX in the Netherlands. Micah talks to us about the Don't Bank on the Bomb report, the only regularly published source of information on the private companies involved in the production of nuclear weapons and their financiers. But it also profiles those institutions that limit or prohibit any financial engagement with these companies. PAX first published this report for the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons in 2012 and updates it annually with current developments in nuclear financing. So let's hear it from Micah on who the major players are that enable this industry, but also what actions everyday people like us can take to influence our banks, super and pension funds on these issues. Hello, Micah, and welcome to the Radioactive Show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us all the way from the Netherlands today. And today we're very excited to have you on the show to talk about the latest Don't Bank on the Bomb report that came out last month. And some of our listeners might already know about the the Don't Bank on the Bomb project produced annually by PAC since 2012 for ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and is the only report detailing the global investments by financial institutions and companies producing nuclear weapons. So, Micah, can you tell us a little bit about PAX and your involvement in the organization? Yeah, sure. Um, so PAX is a Dutch peace organization. We were actually founded after the Second World War, which had a really big impact in Dutch society, of course. Um, and it was a combination of Catholic and Protestant organizations that, that came together wanting to work on peace. Um, and since the start, we've always been involved in nuclear weapons. And over the last few years, um, all our work has been in cooperation with ICANN. So we are on the steering group of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And we work together uh, on the stigmatization um, and work towards the elimination of nuclear weapons. Yeah, and so in this year's report, uh, you found that 325 institutional investors made 748 billion US dollars available to the top 18 companies involved in weapons pro- manufacturing, maintenance, and modernization. And this was just in the years between 2017, January 2017, and January 2019. So, could you give us a bit of a yeah. breakdown on who the top players are that invest hundreds of billions of US dollars every year? to fuel only four countries' arsenals, which is the, namely the US, France, the UK, and India. Yeah, so what we did is we took those 18 um, companies involved in the, in the production, development, or maintenance of, of nuclear weapons for those four arsenals you mentioned, and we just started to look at who, who are the financial institutions that invest in them. So they could be banks or pension funds, insurance companies, asset managers, um, you name it, and we looked at the whole the global financial industry. So we found that quite big amount that you mentioned, so 748 billion U.S. dollars invested in those 18 companies. 
And it's actually interesting to see that more than half of those investments were made by just 10 institutions. So it's really 10 institutions that together have so much investment that they make up more than half of the total. Um, and some of them are quite well known. I think, for example, BlackRock uh, or State Street, uh, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, they're all well-known names, not just because they're big institutions, but also uh, people might know them from other um, cases where their conduct has, has not always been as ethical as it could have been. Um, so those are some of the major investments, uh, investors. But we do have financial institutions investing from uh, quite a lot of countries. So also, for example, from Australia, um, we have this year four financial institutions that together invested um, just uh, over four and a half, uh, how do I say that, four, four billion, four and a half billion U.S. Yeah. dollars. Yeah, $4.5 billion, uh, invested by Commonwealth Bank, ANZ, Macquarie Group and Westpac. Yeah. But where are most of these financial institutes based? Uh, so most, the biggest ones are all from the United States and most of them are also from the United States. But we also find investment yeah, from around the world, really. Of course, mostly from Western countries, so Northwest Europe, North America, um, where most of the financial institutions are, are based. But we also have some from Saudi Arabia, for example, South Africa, mm -hmm. uh, Chile and Canada, uh, mm -hmm. China. And so what classifies as an investment into these companies? Do, you, do they directly just lend them money or are there any other ways in which investments can be made into these industries? That's a good question. We look at um, a whole range um, of investment types and we always look at sort of the whole company. Um, and we do that because companies can easily shift money internally. So sometimes we would hear that even though a loan might not be given to the production of nuclear weapons directly, uh, a financial institution would use that as an excuse to say, hey, but we're not financing their nuclear weapons business. We're just financing their bicycle factory. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really easily easy for financial uh, for producers to sort of shift money internally. So as a financial institution, you can never be sure that your money will not end up being used for the production of nuclear weapons. So we look at financial links for the whole company, and that can include loans, uh, also holding assets like shares and bonds, or underwriting the issuance of shares uh, and bonds. Great. So it's quite a comprehensive report. And um, something that really jumped out and was very interesting about this was the, how the report highlights these investments and institutional policy trends um, by categorizing financial institutions in the so-called Hall of Shame or Hall of Fame and a runners-up category. So those are pretty self-explanatory categories, but before I go on to, into that, can you give us a bit of an um, idea of how this year's report was different to what you found in the previous seven years? Yes, yeah, so um, on the producers, so the nuclear weapon producers specifically, we found that there are, there's a whole range of new contracts being given to companies to produce new nuclear weapons. Um, and this relates quite directly to things We've all seen on the news, so um, the United States is, and, and Russia are planning to make new types of nuclear weapons and new missiles. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, Russia is not so transparent. It's not so easy to find information about. 
but at least from the United States, it's very clear that contracts are being given to commercial companies for the production of those new missiles. So that is very disconcerting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you see that there are some financial institutions that think this is an opportunity for some short-term profit. But also uh, that more and more financial institutions understand that even though in the short term they might make some money, in the long term this is really bad news for all of us. So um, so basically to highlight these um with the trends that the financial institutes are now taking, you have the categories of Hall of Shame, Hall of Fame, and the runners-up category. And could you give us an overview of what they are and which institutions are repeated inductees into these categories and why they have been placed there? Yes, yeah, so the Hall of Shame um, lists the financial institutions that invest in nuclear weapon producers. Um, and, yeah, they're in the Hall of Shame because of that, because uh, they should not be. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. So that is the financial research that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, we also look at the policies of financial institutions. Um, so, of course, we, d- we don't have the resources to look at the policies of every single financial institution in the world. Um, but we take a lot of time to look at a lot of them. Um, and when we find a financial institution that has a public policy of some form saying we will not invest um, in companies that make nuclear weapons. We will uh, evaluate that policy um, in in quite a great deal of uh, detail. Uh, we also contact them, ask them loads of questions, very detailed questions. If they meet our standards, uh, we list them as good examples uh, in our report, either in the Hall of Fame or runners-up. So the Hall of Fame are financial institutions that have... Um, in place such a good policy that they will not invest in any way in any nuclear weapon producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Australia, for example, we have Australian Ethical mm-hmm. listed in the in the Hall of Fame. Also, Future Super. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they're they're well known, but uh, they, they have really are, good yeah. policies uh, on nuclear weapons. And then in the runners-up, we have financial institutions that also have a policy on nuclear weapons. Uh, but their policy is not perfect. It's not comprehensive yet. And that can be for different reasons. Um, so it could be, for example, that they only exclude nuclear weapon producers from countries that have not joined the major international treaty on this issue, the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Mm-hmm. But it could also be that they exclude everyone, but they don't exclude them from all of their investments. So they, for example, they exclude them only from loans, but not from asset management. So... In any case, their policy is not perfect yet, but we still list them in the runners-up because we still think it's really important that they have recognized nuclear weapon producers are not an acceptable investment or a normal investment. Mm-hmm. They have taken some steps to uh, to get out of that business and help us stigmatize nuclear weapons, so we still consider them as, as good examples. Right, okay. So again, a very comprehensive review of the policies of each institution. And the report tells us about the top financial institutions that are um, aiding and abetting the U.S., French, British, and Indian arsenals. And so these are the four countries, but the institutions are actually from all over the world, including Australia. And I'm going to name them again for our listeners. So we've got um, Macquarie Group, ANZ, Commonwealth Bank, 
and Westpac that reportedly lend 4.5 billion US dollars to these nuclear armed states every in in the last 2 years which i think adds an extra layer of moral and ethical discrepancy and a dilemma since our country does not even own these we- weapons yet our money is being invested by our banks into other countries arsenals have you heard about 3CR's national programs coming at you on community radio stations around australia produced in the studios of 3CR melbourne Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. This is The Radioactive Show, and we're listening to an interview with Micah Beans from PAX about the Don't Bank on the Bomb report, a report that brings to light the institutional financiers of the nuclear industry. The report also emphasises the humanitarian, legal and environmental arguments for divestment. Could you elaborate that aspect of the report a little bit as well? Yeah, I think what I really like about working on this project um, is that it gives most individuals around the world the opportunity to do something. So um, most of us now have a bank account, uh, an insurance policy, uh, pension fund savings, or maybe even some uh, investments of our own. So through this money, we, we can all decide to be connected to the nuclear weapons industry or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time, it's the financial institutions that offer us those services that sort of seem seem to decide for us. Mm -hmm. So you might not know that your pension fund is investing in the nuclear weapons industry. But if they are, that does give you the opportunity uh, to do something. Um, You can can call them and and let them know that you do not want this. And we've seen in the past that this can be really effective. So I think very recently um, in the Netherlands, we have a really big pension fund. They're, They're like the civil servants pension fund. And we did a campaign um, asking them to divest from nuclear weapons for, for a few years. And they, were, they came under quite a lot of pressure in the Netherlands after also the adoption of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this treaty also really highlights the humanitarian consequence. So the consequences of, the, of any use of nuclear weapons on the bodies of humans and the long-term impact on, on uh, humans' health and the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they decided to get out of this. So mm-hmm. they, they decided to stop investing in nuclear weapon producers. And in Australia a few years ago, Australia and New Zealand, there was quite a bit of um, public concern uh, when people found out that their financial institutions were investing in producers of cluster munitions. So that is another, another really indiscriminate, inhumane weapon. And this was uh, all over the news, as I understand, in both Australia and New Zealand. Um, and because of the of sort of the public concern around this, 
there were there were quite a lot of financial institutions that took steps um, and adopted policies to make sure they would no longer invest in that industry. So this is just to say that there's a lot of opportunity for people uh, to take action and really contribute something in our efforts to stigmatize nuclear weapons, to make sure that everybody understands nuclear weapons are not acceptable, uh, acceptable weapons because of the impact that they have on people, the environment, and the long-term impact. Absolutely, yes. And um, so the Don't Bank on the Bomb report was first published in 2012, but as a lot of our listeners would know, in 2017, the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons came into force, and now we have a legally binding international agreement to prohibit the development and production of nuclear weapons which it would logically follow that these financial investors would be in breach of. So we know that once the treaty comes into effect, all the governments are accountable to it. But does this affect the way in which financial institutions might think about these investments and could be held accountable? So it definitely impacts the way that financial institutions think about this, because this treaty gives a really strong signal that a majority of the countries worldwide, it was 120 that adopted the treaty in 2017, um, that all of these countries think nuclear weapons um, must be eliminated, they must be made uh, illegal. So they did. So this gives a really strong signal to institutions around the world. And and the pension fund that I mentioned earlier from the Netherlands, ABP, Mm -hmm. uh, they also really responded to this to this development. So it's the international development, the adoption of the treaty together with public pressure in the Netherlands that moved them to change their policy. And we also see since the adoption of the treaty that financial institutions are recognizing this and they are starting to take action. Of course, adopting a policy doesn't happen overnight, so it always takes some time, but you can really see movement is starting to happen. Uh, and then there are also, of course, the, the potential sort of legal implications for financial institutions. So any country that signs up to the TPNW, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, is prohibiting production, development of nuclear weapons, but the treaty also prohibits assistance with those activities, so assistance with production. And we also know from other treaties, including the Cluster Munition Convention, that this is widely interpreted to also mean investing in nuclear weapon producers. So a lot of countries will also interpret this new treaty to mean that investing in nuclear weapon producers is illegal under the treaty. So if a country joins the treaty, financial institutions in those countries will most likely no longer be allowed to invest in nuclear weapon producers. And some countries might even adopt national legislation on this specifically, or others will simply state that they consider this to be prohibited by the treaty itself. Um, but it will it is what we call um, a regulatory risk for financial institutions. So they really have to uh, sort of start preparing uh, for when this happens to make sure that they, that they are ready and they're already not investing in nuclear weapon producers anymore. So as you've detailed, this report and the treaty are already having a lot of positive inf- impact in the divestment of money from the nuclear weapons industry. But despite there being a range of positive examples, what the report found that fewer institutions are now investing in the industry, but the overall total dollar sum of investment has actually increased. 
And like you said, with um, Trump's new nuclear policy announcement and Russia's new testing of ballistic missiles would explain why their total investment is increasing. But the most empowering and interesting thing about this report that I found was that um, like often we don't get to we don't have the power to directly influence and affect the decisions that our government is making. But with our power to divest, uh, we can collectively influence the industry by choosing to invest our money in more ethical institutions. So what actions can everyday people take for divestment and have these conversations with their banks and funds? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot of things people can do and they go from very simple one-off little things to very time-consuming actions. So it's really an opportunity <laughs> yeah. for for whatever suits you to do something. So if you would start from something very simple, you can just use our report to find out whether your financial institution is listed as an investor or maybe they are already listed in the Hall of Fame of runners-up for having a policy on nuclear weapon producers. And if you find out that that they are investing, then you can just give them a call or send them, they can. They are often approachable on, on social media these days, so you can send them a Facebook, WhatsApp message, or send them an email, or send them offline mail um, to, to let them know that, that you are not supporting this and that you want them uh, to get out of this industry. Uh, so that is something very easy. You could, of course, if you find out that, that your financial institution is investing, you could also decide to move to another financial institution. I don't necessarily think that that's better than the first option, because if you're a client of a financial institution that is investing, you, you also have some power over them. You can keep asking them to divest. Yeah, totally. Uh, so that's also an opportunity. But, of course, maybe after a while, if they, if they haven't changed and you don't, you, yeah, you don't want to be with that financial institution anymore, you can move to another one. And then it's really good to let the financial institution know why you're leaving them so that they can really see that because of their policies, customers are making different decisions. So those are relatively simple actions, of course. But you could also maybe get together with, with other customers of a financial institution and, and consider a little bit bigger action. So, for example, publicizing on social media what is, what is happening or doing a street action uh, or a letter action. So there's a whole range of activities people can take going from something quite simple to spending more time if people want to. Great. So there are several actions and in a way, from what you said, it seems it's almost better to stay with your institution and actively campaign for them to divest and for it to be more impactful. Yeah, so then there's also the reputational risk that these institutions face. And if enough people take action and send a message and gather their attention, you would hope that institutions will divest. And with other industries, such as what you just mentioned, cluster munitions, we have already seen how the public and community demand can be a big pivot point for where institutions choose to invest. So one would assume that this trajectory would also apply to the nuclear arms industry. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so if there are no investments in weapons, there will be no weapons. So it is a very highly impactful way to influence change in this industry. So, yeah, well, thanks, Mikey. That was a really comprehensive and detailed uh, report. And I have learned a lot about what I can do personally to hold my bank accountable and about why it's so important. Great, yeah. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed talking to you. 
And that's all we've got time for today. We have been listening to an interview by Mike Beans from PAX about the Don't Bank on the Bomb report. This has been the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. I would like to thank the Ace Collective of Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their ongoing support. You can podcast our show by going to 3cr.org.au and find us on Facebook or leave a message at 3CR Studios. I'm going to leave you with a song called World Destruction by Time Zone, a bit of a cross-genre 80s classic by Africa Bambata and Johnny Rotten. My name is Lavanya. Thanks for listening and keep tuning in for nuclear-free news and views. Destruction,